Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an honor to again be able to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord on his day. Tonight I want you to, I want you to hold up your Bibles. We'll treat you all like a, a summer camp tonight. If you got your Bible, hold, hold up your Bible. Uh, some of you are holding up a phone. If you need one out of the back of the pew in front of you, there's plenty of red ones right there just to show that everyone's got one in your hand tonight. What you hold in your hand is 66 books. It's a collection of 66 books that were written through the mediation of 40 different humans who transcribed these words down, down for us across about 1,500 years. And they have been preserved through the aid of some scribes who have copied them onto, originally onto other scrolls so that they could uh, be read in different locations. And they have been preserved on down the line eventually with the New Testament. When all the books were written, they were combined into one book, all 66, into what we would call a codex. Really a Christian invention of putting all these different books into something that you wouldn't just have to pull out one scroll for Isaiah and one for Jeremiah and one for uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But you could actually have them all together in one book that you could hold with your hands. What a privilege to be able to have that. In order for you to have what you have in your hands tonight, a couple more things in history have happened by the grace of God. Number one, people have been committed to copying those scriptures. I mentioned scribes earlier who originally would copy these onto another scroll so that it, uh, people at different locations could have these. But over time in the Christian age, people who were willing to take the scriptures and copy them word by word, letter by letter, hand by hand so that they could be preserved for people to have a copy of this. Now, that was before the invention of the printing press in 1440. By the year 1440, by the grace of God, a huge history-changing event happened with the invention of the printing press in Germany. Now, scribe no longer had copy by hand. Uh, you could print the Bible in mass. You could get the materials out to a lot of people at once. Around the same time, the second movement that was underway, beyond just being able to copy the Bible much easier, there was a revival in a movement to translate the Bible into common languages so that you would not have to understand Greek or Hebrew or Latin in order to read the Bible. Now, if you go back and you study the history of translation, the first few centuries of, of Christianity, there was a movement. There was an early movement to translate the Bible into a lot of different languages. It was translated into a lot of the languages of the people of the Middle East and of North Africa and of Europe and some of the other places where Christianity was spreading to. It was translated into Syriac, into Coptic, into Ethiopic, into Gothic, and into the one which would become the most dominant version of the Bible for many centuries, into Latin. It was called the Vulgate. Now, the Latin text known as the Vulgate was the dominant translation in the Western world through most of the Middle Ages, even after most of the people no longer spoke Latin after the fall of the Roman Empire. You could see how that could present a problem. 
or the language that you are reading the scriptures from is no longer the language that everyone is speaking. It's not the original language of the scriptures either. It in and of itself is a translation. Many in the Roman Catholic Church during this time period held firmly that the Latin Vulgate was the only authoritative version that they should be using in church services. So translating the Bible into common languages like English or German or French or Spanish, it was frowned upon. In many cases, it was outlawed. There were consequences for many who tried to do so. Many people in history have been persecuted and killed for their attempts to translate the Bible into common languages. Thankfully, shortly after the time of the printing press, you're getting a lot of materials that are of other kinds that are in the hands of people. There is a, there's a rise in the general literacy uh, around Europe at that time and eventually in some other places along with that. And there's also a push with the beginning of the Reformation, another revival in the movement of trying to get the Word of God into these languages that people can understand. So it's not just the religious leaders who are able to read the Bible, but so that everyone can be able to read the Bible. And the Bible eventually was translated into German, translated into English, translated into a lot of other common languages of the time, languages that we have today as well. Uh, I'd love to do a special class sometime on uh, the history of translation and the translating the Bible into English, the strengths and weaknesses of different English translations. Would love to, to do that sometime, go through some of this in more detail. But today the Bible has been translated into hundreds of languages with billions of copies in print. It is the highest selling book in the world every year. And you, whether you have one with you tonight or not, you have access to the Word of God. And what a privilege that is. I think that has been God's intention all the while. And he's been working through history to enable that to be possible. We thank him for that. And tonight I want you to open your Bible to the fifth book, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because we're going to reflect a little bit on what the Bible itself says about what a privilege it is to have access to the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, you'll find that on page 145 of the Pew Bible, if you are using that tonight. We're going to read a few verses from this text. Now, let's say up front, this text is given long before we have the complete revelation from God, long before we have the complete 66-book collection that we know as our Bible. This is given to a people that, again, if they were going to be able to copy the Scriptures, they had to do so by hand. But it's also a people that within this book of Deuteronomy itself gives us some insight into how they preserved the word of God, how they taught it to each other, how they rehearsed it. Number one is they would read it communally so that all would, would hear. Uh, there are examples of that in Deuteronomy telling you that as soon as you get into the land of Canaan, you're supposed to do that. And you're supposed to write them all at certain places where uh, Joshua was supposed to write the commandments or whoever else uh, may be in charge at that time was supposed to write the commandments out when they get into their land. They are also told earlier in Deuteronomy uh, to post the word of God around their house. 
spouses to talk about it with their children, to talk about it as often as they can. It even says, you know, write it on the doorposts of your house. Uh, may it really be in your homes. May it be in your hearts. Talk about these things. Rehearse these things. Even if you don't have the complete scroll of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy in every household, you can take this and you can copy these commandments so that you will have access to them. They will be on your heart. They will be in your homes. Even before the printing press, they're finding ways to read, to hear, to rehearse the word from God. I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 8. If you want to read along with me tonight, the word says, And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again receive, rejoice for you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Now let's pause there for just a moment. This is one section of an idea that's going to be repeated a lot in Deuteronomy. People are about to go into the promised land and the, the law needs to be there. If they are going to be able to build their society, build their cities and build their homes on something that is going to last, then it's got to be based on this word that God is giving them. They have a choice here in Deuteronomy. Which way are you going to choose? Are you going to choose life? As this is going to say down later on in this chapter, I said, if you go down to verse 15, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. So which are you going to choose here by your response to the word? But it's this middle section, verses 11 through 14, that I want to slow down and spend a few minutes on with you today. And just think, reflect with me about the beauty of what it means to be able to access words from the God of the universe. That he would even take the time that he would make it possible to communicate with us. Verse 11 and following. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach it is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. The word is not out of reach. The word is not too difficult for you. Now let's really take a few moments to think through what this means for us. What does this mean for us when we talk about the word of God in general? Well, some of the things that it means when we say that the word of God is not out of reach for you. That means that it is not just for privileged elites. It's not something you have to go on a journey to a far-off oracle to hear, as some other religions in the ancient world taught, that that was the only way that you were going to have access to words from the gods, was to be able to, to make a, a pilgrimage, a journey to a specific place, and access an oracle of some kind to receive that message. It's not the, only for those who would have the money or the time to be able to make a journey like that. 
It's not something you receive only after you've received a rigorous academic degree, which only a few will ever be able to afford. What else is the word not if it's not out of reach? It means it's not just for clergy. One of the worst things that's happened in the history of religion, and in Christendom in particular, is this supposed dichotomy, this separation between those who are clergy and those who are laity, those who are the professionals who read and study the Word and teach the Word, and those who are just expected to follow along with what they say and not to access it themselves. The idea is that this is not just for clergy. What we find later on in the Jesus movement, whenever he's calling disciples, is that he is trying to show that everyone has an opportunity to be a disciple. Not just those who reach a certain education level, not those who were the smartest of the smartest, who were from elite families, uh, not, not those who were just in religious training. You know, he's calling fishermen, he's calling tax collectors, he's calling men, he's calling women. He's saying everyone who will choose to has an opportunity to be a disciple. And every disciple, the New Testament is going to tell us, would function as a priest. We are all part of a royal priesthood. We all have the function of a priest to intercede on behalf of each other simply because we are connected with Jesus as our high priest. This means that all of us can learn the Word and teach the Word. It's not just for clergy. You know what else? It's not, it's not just a mystic secret for the initiated. That's a lot of how ancient cults worked. Even some secret societies today will have that type of, of initiation that you have to go through. It's an extensive initiation that you have to go through in order to have access to the secret mysteries, the hidden truths. That's not how God designed his word. It's not just for the few. It's for everyone. It's not out of reach. God is not a deistic God who is just winding up his universe and letting it go and letting everyone go on their own. He's a God who's involved. He's a God who, as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, is not far from us. If we'll only reach out and grasp him, he's there. His word is there. It's part of how he shows himself. He speaks to us. The word is not too difficult. It's something that this passage says as well. Now, if you've tried to read all 66 books, maybe you don't buy that statement. But you think about the Bible as a whole. Most of the Bible is actually written on a seventh grade level as far as vocabulary, syntax, and basic comprehension. Now, that is not to say that there are not some difficulties in the text. There's some things which are debated. I preached on one of them this morning as a meteor topic, something that's debated. There's some things which require more study, and sometimes they puzzle even scholars. The Bible is designed to keep us digging deeper. You probably hear me use this quote a lot, but I love it. Augustine saying that the Bible is, is shallow enough where a baby will not drown, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim. It is written to reach us on many different levels. The word as a whole is understandable. It's not written in undecipherable philosophic language. It's stories. It's letters. It's poetry. It's biographical accounts. It's prophetic speeches. 
And the theme which ties all of it together, which you cannot miss if you do an honest reading of it all the way through, what is going to jump out to you more than anything else is the necessity of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus. It's all pointing there. Now, if you wonder if this passage is ultimately about Christ as the ultimate expression of the Word of God, I want to show you how Romans 10 says that it is. Turn to Romans 10 with me. Romans 10, you'll find that on page 763 of the Pew Bible, if you'd like to join us there. Because this is going to be one of the New Testament texts that is going to interact with Deuteronomy 30 and is going to, to affirm the message of Deuteronomy 30, but it's going to affirm it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Of us understanding that when we talk about the Word being evident to us, and we have, we having access to the Word, the way that we will know that more than anything else is that God, who in the past has spoke to the prophets in many ways, as, the, as Hebrews chapter 1 opens up, in these last days has spoken to us through his Son. And in his Son, Jesus is the ultimate revelation from God. Revealing who God is, showing you that God does not want to be a God who just remains a distant God from you, but wants a relationship with you, wants to speak to you. If you doubted that before, you cannot doubt that after we understand who Jesus is once he has come in the flesh. He is the word of God become flesh, dwelling among us. Romans 10 is going to use this language of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Listen to it with me from the Word of God. Romans 10, beginning in verse 6. But the righteousness which is based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Now this is talking about, this is interacting with that text of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. That's how Paul, as he's guided by the Holy Spirit here, is interpreting that passage for us as Christians. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, For with the, with the heart a person believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. Meaning that that faith in the heart, that that confession by the mouth, that those are pointing towards a salvation that is only there by God's grace. We know that there are some other things that are part of that process that are talked about earlier in the book of Romans, such as baptism in Romans chapter 6. But let's think about what this passage really does with Deuteronomy chapter 30. When it says, who will go into heaven? Deuteronomy 30 says, you didn't have to make a trip into heaven to bring the word down. Aren't you glad that you didn't? We're not capable of doing that. We're not capable of getting there in order to have access to the word of God. You know, we're not fit for that. There's no way that we could do that. And here it says that we, we, we couldn't go up and just bring Christ down. Now, that that's, sounds a lot like what 
the Tower of Babel was trying to do, right? It was trying to build a tower into the heavens in order to capture the gods and bring them down among us. Saying, we, we aren't capable of that. We couldn't pull that off. But the word is that God voluntarily came down to us in Jesus Christ. Now here's the next thing it says that we couldn't do. It says we, we, we couldn't go to heaven to capture him and bring him to us so that we would have him close to us. It says we also couldn't go to the realm of the dead and bring him back. We couldn't cause his resurrection. We can't just go there if he's there after he's been killed and, and bring him back from the dead. Only God could do that. Ultimately, this passage is saying that Deuteronomy 30, while it's about a lot of things, it is certainly about Jesus as our Emmanuel, as God with us, about God sharing his message with us. We are not capable of going and making this happen for us. But we have a God who has loved us enough to share himself with us, to bring himself close to us. We haven't had to go through years of academic training or a rigorous eightfold path of enlightenment as some religions may teach or a quest across the world to a mystic oracle to have this knowledge of Jesus and of his resurrection and of the salvation he offers. God has brought it near to us. It's in our mouths and it's in our hearts. Here in Romans 10, what that means is that if it's in your heart, is that you believe it. What it means that it's in your mouth is that you confess it. You rehearse it. You claim it with the meditations of your heart and with the words of your mouth. The word does not just remain in heaven and it doesn't just remain on the page. It becomes the focus of the meditations of your heart and the words of your mouth because you realize the power that is there. Tonight, this has simply been a reflection on what a privilege it is by the grace of God to have access to the words of the creator of the universe, to the will of God for each of us, to the story that has unfolded about Jesus Christ and about what the church is and about who we are as a part of that and about what our destiny is in Christ. So I simply say today to you, take every opportunity that you have to hear it, to read it, to hear it preached, to study it, to meditate on it, to pray through it, to immerse yourself in it. And as you're doing that, confess it. Let it be on your heart. Let it be in your mouth. May it be on the, your lips and your conversations with your coworkers this week. May it be in your mind when you're confronted with an opportunity for either good or for evil when you are tempted. May it be in your teachings to your children. May the pages be open as your heart is open. The Word of God is near you. You have it in your hands, and you have the God who is at the heart of the book, if you will let him be. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you for not just leaving us here wandering around, 
having no clue what we're doing, having no clue who you are, and just trying to figure things out for ourselves. Thank you so much for speaking to us. And we pray that we can have our hearts open to your word, knowing that the word is near to us. It can be in our hearts. It can be in our mouths. We pray that it will be tonight. Pray that each of us will devote ourselves more to our personal reading and meditation of it, of praying through these scriptures back to you, of working toward memorizing certain passages, of reading these books in their entirety, of all the different ways that you would have for us to approach your word so that we can get the most out of it. May we be immersed in your word. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit as we do so. And we pray ultimately, Father, that we will appreciate so much that the gift of your son, Jesus, the word become flesh. So that we not only hear the word, but we have seen the word lived out among us. We've seen how you would behave if you were a human among us. Because you have been. And you've shown us the way. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, if you're here struggling with something in, in your life that we can pray about, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. You can share that with us this evening. This evening, we've been talking about how the Word is there to us. Later on in, in Romans chapter 10, it's going to talk about how our faith is actually something that comes from our hearing and hearing by specifically the Word of Christ. That that is what is ultimately going to lead us to a biblical faith. You can have faith in a lot of things. But a faith in Jesus Christ is the faith that Romans 10 is talking about. It's the saving faith that it's talking about. It's a faith that is, will be on our hearts. It will be in our mouths. Many were willing to confess Jesus as Lord, as the Son of God, as the one who is risen from the dead. We're willing to repent of the life that we have lived in the past. Peter says in one of his gospel sermons in Acts chapter 2, when people ask, well, what do we do in response to this Jesus? Uh, he says, well, you've got to repent and you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and if it's truly there along with a genuine faith, repentance and a confession, then he says that it will be for the forgiveness of your sins, that it will be, to, be for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for you to be able to, as Romans 6 says, to start your walk in newness of life with Jesus at the center of it. Tonight, if you need to make that decision, we encourage you to come as together we stand and as we sing.